Hello everyone near and far. I'm Renee recording from Fort Collins, Colorado as a student at Colorado State University. And I'm here today to talk about the importance of elders and their traditional ecological knowledge. My host today is Zoe Schutte from Colorado State University. We have a class together. Hey. The key difference between Western ideas of nature and TEK, traditional ecological knowledge, lies in the way TEK emphasizes the idea that individual plants and animals exist on their own terms. Anthropologists have heard ideas like this before, but it is uncommon for the general public to be familiar. The traditional ecological knowledge that elders possess is critical now more than ever. I say this because we are at a pivotal moment where there is a rediscovery of a fundamental truth. That fundamental truth reveals that our home is not limitless. Climate is changing, and it's also changing the way indigenous elders advocate for humans and non-humans, or land. To begin, it is important to mention that humans obviously do not interact with the earth in a reciprocal manner. There are not adequate ways to restore an area that could compare to just leaving it alone. It won't grow back as full until after our lifespan is through many times over. We often use more than we can replace and at a rate faster than we should. The disconnect we face with commodities has grown because we do not know where our money goes at the end of the day. For example, George Simmel believed that most of us don't know that we are spending unethically because commodity chains are withheld from us. George Simmel is a sociologist, but we're going to be diving deeper into the anthropological importance of traditional and ecological knowledge in modern time. This sets the stage for recording today where I would like to focus on the indigenous individual and their traditional ecological knowledge. Traditional ecological knowledge is a fairly new term best described by Parati and Wildcat as a knowledge suite based on close observation of nature and natural phenomena combined with the concept of a community membership that differs from that of Western political and social thought. Parati and Wildcat first projected this knowledge in a commentary they published on alternative attitudes. An alternative attitude we can learn from indigenous people is that non-human organisms are recognized as relatives whom the humans are obliged to treat with respect and honor. You have argued that not only do indigenous farmers not destroy the forests that they depend on, but they frequently improve them. How so? For the longest time, we thought that indigenous people just put in their swiddens. A swidden is a temporary agricultural plot formed by cutting back and burning off vegetative cover and just walked away from it and cleared another piece of forest. But what we've been finding, to the contrary, that the fallow open area they leave, they are actively managing that. They are enriching it with things that are of use to them. In addition to agricultural crops, they plant fruit trees, timber species, thatch palms, medicinal plants, and rattan canes in their fields. The villagers return to their fallows periodically to weed, to clear the underbrush, remove unwanted tree species, and depending on the season, they collect fruits and palm thatch. Far from being abandoned, much of the fallow vegetation created by indigenous farmers in the tropics is enriched with useful species and carefully managed. For them, there is no clear line between agriculture and forestry. Forest succession is carefully controlled rather than arrested or inhibited. I would like to examine the point made by Kyle White in his article about indigenous climate change. He discusses that it is too late to avoid environmental injustices against indigenous peoples, whether connected to exposure to dangerous climate change itself or to harm stemming from how certain societies choose to mitigate climate change. It might be too late to provide adequate reparations to the land of indigenous peoples, but it is sure not too late to listen to what they have to say. I think of a previous course I took in my undergrad where I focused on the impact of humans in ancient environments. One topic we covered in that course was Easter Island and the Moai heads being re-erected incorrectly. I think of another topic we covered 
that forced us to consider the differences in ways fires burn. So we see these impacts change over time and the causes are various, but some of them are infant mortality rate, ecological diseases like the pine beetle, or colonization and the inaccuracy that it perpetuated and continues to. By returning to indigenous thought and obligation, we can attempt to heal the earth for future generations. The idea that local people should even be allowed to use resources in the forest is not universally accepted by conservationists. In the past, there was an emphasis on creating pristine forest reserves that excluded humans and human activities. Was that wise? Great question. In recent decades, we've moved a bit away from this strict protectionist conservation mindset to kick people out of their reserves. In many ways, though, we still are in that mindset, but some people are coming around to the idea of allowing local people to make use of these resources. What have we got to learn from elders and indigenous traditional ecological knowledge? If you were looking for someone to help you farm the moon, these are the people who could help you figure that out. So this is why I'm saying that they have incredible knowledge. We don't have to give them complete control, but let's ask them what they think before we tell them what they need to do. All of this is a bit insidious, the way we disenfranchise people who actually know how to farm these areas, who actually know something about the forest and how it regenerates. The stem of our issues may in fact result from the way we do not see ourselves as part of the earth. It might seem like an uneasy alliance, but Western science can be strengthened by collaboration with indigenous peoples. The two systems of knowledge production are complementary, and one can help to clarify, provide hypotheses, and offer alternative viewpoints to the other. The central takeaway I want people to get out of my podcast is that it is critical to protect elders and their knowledge. Elders from indigenous groups are often deeply connected with ways of harvesting, growing, and restoring the earth. Their knowledge is sometimes not used because it was deemed less important and less respectful during colonizing. With climate change forcing us to reconsider our effects on the earth around us, we realize that we are ultimately bound and reliant upon the finite and natural world around us. I'd like to go back in time and look at Standing Rock Pipeline. The United States Army Corps of Engineers failed to perform an adequate study on the environmental consequences if this construction was approved. Recently, it was overturned and the Sioux Tribe gained victory. The Army Corps did not study whether an oil spill at the pipeline would kill most of the river's fish. It also did not report on whether chemicals used for a possible spill would poison local game, which could render them unfit for human consumption. The ways indigenous people care for their land goes unnoticed. It is not recognized, and somebody, oil companies, palm oil interests, you name it, is paying these people a lot of money to do something that is in nobody's interest. These systems of indigenous management are really fragile. No one thinks that they know what they are doing. People think that forest dwellers are the problem and not the solution. And when you receive no support, when someone comes in and says, we want to buy your timber and here's the money, and you don't have any alternative, you will sell it off. Most of the nutrients are in the vegetation, not in the soil. So when you clear the forest, there is not much left. I call everyone listening to engage with the foods and environments they are in the most often. When we really engage with these parts of our life, we will start to see that we should know more about how our food is grown.